0: Today on Refried Reviews, we find out that time travel is completely futile. <laughs>
1: You can't change the future, because remember when you were in the future and it wasn't changed?
0: (laughs) It's because you didn't change it. (laughs) Yeah, it really sort of turns it on its head, the... um like, well, if time travel does work, then why didn't it change already? It's like, yeah. oh, it has changed already. It's just it didn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like reverse Terminator rules. <laughs> like, I like yeah. it. I like it. <laughs> it's cool.
1: Uh, yeah. So welcome back to Refried Reviews. I'm John. I'm JP. And uh, today uh, we we kind of really internalized the, the the wide angle weirdness of Alien Three because where <laughs> where did we land on this one?
0: Well, after sort of. Seeing how dark and gritty uh, these you know stylistic filmmakers can get, mm-hmm. I thought that uh, we. I think we referenced Twelve Monkeys even yeah. in sort of the aesthetic style. That, of that actually prison. looks like Twelve Monkeys. Yeah, it does quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I thought Twelve Monkeys would be a good choice from here. Yeah, yeah, and it was. Yeah, it
1: was so fucking good. <laughs> oh
0: damn. Yeah, this was a longtime favorite of mine. Um, especially, I think uh watching so many movies in my high school years as a latchkey kid and stuff and that um the hamster factor was such an awesome special feature yeah, sort of made an interesting movie to rewatch in the first place. You wanted to sort of dive even deeper. What's the there's... hamster factor? I mean, I know what the,
1: what it references, and if uh-huh. you if you want to fill in our listeners on what the hamster factor is, it's why <sighs> Terry Gilliam, while a genius, nightmare to work with. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think the full title is like the Hamster Factor and Other Tales of Twelve Monkeys or something. Yeah, is a, a documentary that's included on the DVD. Yeah, which was just a really well shot, interesting fly on the wall. Um, uh, amount of footage that was edited in this cool little dvd feature and uh if anyone has seen lost in la mancha which was sort of uh gilliam's was it his next movie or a few uh, movies since? i don't know I what don't know.
1: it. i mean it was the man who killed don quixote and yeah i don't know when he was trying to make it um I know, he,
0: you know, it didn't go good. Yeah, so if anyone's ever heard of Lost in La Mancha, it's the documentary of a movie Terry Gilliam tried to make and that movie got funded because these guys did such a good job with their DVD special feature that really? they got a real budget to film, you know, with nicer cameras, the B-roll on um on Don Quixote. And then Which, when that movie didn't actually happen, they had footage to make something. Yeah. And that's how you end up with, Mm -hmm. yeah. So so uh, what is the eponymous hamster factor? So I actually didn't rewatch the doc, so I don't remember the exact details. But it had to do with uh, Terry Gilliam's insistence on sort of everything in the frame being perfect. Down to, uh, it's in one of the future sequences, I believe, where there's the crazy intricate lab and the scientists and stuff. There's a shadow of a hamster on a wheel. And the hamster wouldn't run. I believe was was what it came down to. No. <laughs> what, what I heard, and I haven't watched the documentary, but what I always
1: heard uh, told to me was that there was a shot that has been. It's not in the film, but it was a shot. <laughs> of course, of, it's not. <laughs> yeah, but it was a shot of Bruce Willis injecting himself with something, and off to the like the right of frame, there was a hamster in a wheel. And Terry Gilliam insisted that that fucking hamster run, <laughs> and it wouldn't, and they lost a 12-hour day. And for, for those of our listeners not familiar with the, the process of film production, you're talking about paying 70 to 80 people, many of whom work, I mean, just a regular like specialist crew member, like a union grip on a feature film makes like 300 bucks a day. Mm-hmm. So multiply that average by, let's say, 80. That's how many that's how much money Terry Gilliam basically set
0: fire to because a hamster
1: wouldn't fucking run.
0: Like And that's a it's a complicated movie. Like yeah. with all that set scenery and hanging shit. You have to imagine there were specialists for everything here oh, yeah. and there. Yeah. And that's why I don't know. I have a complicated
1: relationship with Terry Gilliam because of that story. Because like I my favorite filmmakers are generally the ones who work around the limitations Um, because like filmmaking is such a fraught process and it's so defined by how you respond to these weird challenges that come up. Mm -hmm. Like I have way, I have a lot of respect for like early Steven Spielberg because his shark didn't work. And so he figured out a way to make the movie even more effective because of that, you know, like a guy like John Carpenter making Halloween didn't have a whole lot of time in his schedule, so he got a hold of basically the prototype for a steady cam and designed a shot so it was a whole bunch of two shots. He cast really good actors so their performances would be good enough that you didn't have to cut into coverage, and then just had a whole lot of moving the camera around. And it became, he turned a limitation, you know, I don't have a lot of time and I don't have a lot of money, into a stylistic choice. Right. And that's my, personally, my favorite thing to see happen in a movie. Um... Terry, Terry Gilliam doesn't seem to make the most of his constraints. Exactly. Like mm-hmm. he's 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 very particular about what he's making. And when he when he makes what he's making, like I emerged from this film with a new respect for that extremely particular, meticulous way of making a movie. Um I've still got my favorite, but I did he he didn't convert me, but he 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 at least got me to see his way of doing things because this is a very this movie's so fucking on purpose. Uh uh-huh. you know what I mean? <laughs> like in a way that I very very much enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it's uh it's it's still like come on man, like just get the <laughs> hamster out of the frame. It doesn't it doesn't fucking matter.
0: Like Yeah, I mean it, it feels like it has to be I mean, you can't put words in his mouth or whatever, but sort of confusion of priorities of you don't want to be the guy who will fold on any decision and yeah because eh, it's all kind of the same anyway or yeah. like if you're trying to make something with a very particular vision yeah. but yeah sort of reminds
1: it, me of that that joke how many first-time directors does it take to turn uh to change a light
0: bulb how many i don't know what do you think <laughs> I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that that must be sort of a difficult thing to recognize and you have to imagine someone like Terry Gilliam spends a lot of their time pitching their vision over and over and over again while mm-hmm. people look at them insane and, saying, and not, I'm not putting money into that. Yeah. So <laughs> Wait, I, Tom I can... Waits is Satan and you're gonna go inside <laughs> of an
1: imaginarium that's like why why is it a traveling medicine show? <laughs> when does this take place oh man i (laughs) I like the imaginary dr parnassus i i I enjoyed
0: it yeah it's a fascinating watch yeah it's just (laughs) fucking bonkers though like but but just who is this for (laughs) 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 but i i just imagine having to sort of defend and be the steward of your vision for so long and fighting so many uphill battles that it must have to do with that of where it comes from of like I've fought every battle, every inch of the way to get this how I want it. And I'm not gonna fold on this thing and sort of maybe losing sight of Yeah. Just getting used to defending everything because you have to.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I get it. I mean and and again, like the I can't argue with the end product. Like it's real, real good. Uh huh. Um I just wish he weren't such a dick about it. <laughs> like, and I don't know him. He could be a very, you know, perfectly pleasant guy to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've never I've, I've never been in a room with Terry Gilliam. I got no opinion on him personally, but like I just I, I I I just I would like more frequent Terry Gilliam movies and when I hear something about the hamster something like the hamster thing, like the producer in me
0: goes, "Oh." <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Anyway, uh so this movie in particular, um it definitely, yeah. It shared a lot with Alien Three in how like tunnelly it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you want to you just get into the basic
0: premise? Well, yeah. I was thinking maybe we do our sort of our history with it or whatever yeah. of how the oh, first yeah, time yeah, we yeah, saw yeah, it yeah, and yeah, stuff. Let's do that. And then this, like, I think I have at least twice as many notes as most movies we do. So yeah. I think maybe we do a brief overview up front because we'll probably be skipping around. Yeah, because there's a yeah. lot going on. Yeah, dude. Jesus. Ooh. So, um, I mean. Gilliam, I think I sort of discovered in the late high school years when I had a Netflix account and not enough to do. Uh, and that's... You had Netflix in high school? I did. I remember since 2000.
1: Wow. Yeah. Oh, when it was just DVD. I, sometimes
0: I forget that Netflix will <laughs> send you DVDs in the mail. Yeah, it's like, it, it never was Quickster. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. But... Um, so Gilliam was along with, you know, sort of Tarantino and the Coens and and something that I knew was in the ether that I sort of had to catch up with, uh, and I'm sure Monty Python at the same time. Yeah. Uh Brazil is is probably my favorite Gilliam movie, but this this is pretty amazing. I hadn't yeah. watched it in a while. So I sort of I instantly uh liked it and sort of had reverence for it. I think all of Gilliam's movies. I have an interesting relationship where I tend to fall asleep during them, and the, there are so many interesting, bizarre choices. Yeah, but I, I always sort of am with it. I'm never thinking like, "Oh, this this was a stupid choice" or whatever. It's just always a fascinating thing to watch. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so sort of that's that's the angle I was coming from was yeah. I always loved it and just hadn't seen it in a while.
1: Yeah, I am. I this was probably like only the second time I've ever seen it. Um, it should come as no surprise to our listeners that I smoked a lot of weed in college. <laughs> if you smoked a lot of weed in college, odds are you were going to run across Terry Gilliam at some point. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I watched it then and was like, wow, this is so cool. And I remember just the ending, fucking blowing me away mm-hmm. and standard refried reviews spoiler warning um <laughs> really well, if you're not into spoilers like what are you doing watching uh, <laughs> listening to a podcast where people wa- watch movies a second time what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you turn this off um this one will get especially torn apart <laughs> yeah dude but see so the ending like because you know time travel was always just sort of a kind of just fundamentally unsatisfying thing mm-hmm. because it does like in a lot of cases when time travel's done bad it robs your story of stakes. Because it's like, oh, I can just go back and fix it. Uh huh. Um, and here it's it'll no. turn out better. Biff will be cleaning my car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but here, no, you you can't. Mm-hmm. Like it just no. There are no alternate timelines. There's no like dark 1985. Um, there's no like oh we we only delayed Judgment Day. <laughs> no. Like you're gonna go back, and it's funny because like it, I didn't realize this in uh, in this movie, but like it seems like they know that. With their Mm -hmm. time machine. Mm -hmm. When they send people back, they're like, oh yeah, no, you're going back to gather data so you can come back here and tell
0: us. Like, you're not going back to prevent it. Like... And they don't even bring that up as I a mean, question. This, this movie almost had the reverse thing of like your protagonist is like, no, it won't matter. I'm not going to try it. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's, I'm here to study. And yeah. like the other characters are trying to urge him. of Like, no, you have to try something. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> like everybody from the future
1: clearly knows like, no, that's not how this works. Which makes me think that like five years or two years before the events of 12 Monkeys, like they tried that. Mm-hmm. And they did it enough times they were like, "We're just throwing bodies into the past at this point. Right. Like, how many people have to get gunned down in an airport before we figure <laughs> this shit out um yeah it's uh it's 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 crazy, but um yeah, it's I forget where it was Oh yeah So I, I watched it then And was like Oh my god Like this is such a More satisfying take And I was super into You know Your your dark nihilistic Sort of uh, sort of universes um, And I still I still You know Really enjoy that shit I, I, I'll watch a movie With a little more hope now mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> Then when I saw that I was like Oh my god That's such a mind fuck yeah. And it remains An amazing mind fuck Like I <laughs> God I, I have such A fucking plot boner For how how it ends <laughs> Yeah. Um, Oh, God. I loved it when... uh, Spoilers for the fifth season of Lost, when (laughs) they were basically doing that on Lost. Mm -hmm. When, you know, fifth season of Lost, everybody gets sent back to the 70s for a minute and is trying to, like, fix it and... They just, they, they can't. Like, all they do is just make all the things that were supposed to happen, happen. Mm-hmm. And then, unfortunately, they, uh, they, then they kind of just copped out at the end with like, no, you can set off the nuke and then you're back in the present because it's a <laughs> magical island. Um, but that was, that was my favorite part of Lost as well, was that mm-hmm. chunk when they were in the 70s and just kept, <laughs> kept self-fulfilling all these
0: prophecies. Well, I, I sort of think of it as uh, like Donnie Darko time travel rules. Mm. Of sort of, you can't really change things and you shouldn't because, you know, grave destruction could follow. And it's sort of an auto-correcting universe that we're like human fate and things like that are, they seem to be known by the universe like yeah sort of there there is fate in the classical sense of this thing is supposed to happen and if you try and meddle with it it'll naturally fold back into the events that are supposed to happen yeah yeah. so it's that that's sort of how i think of it it's like the donnie darko like the universe that can't be affected but is also kind of aware of human activity somehow yeah
1: Hmm. i mean i i I think from like it's just kind of a matter of perspective Mm -hmm. like it's it's For me, at least, it's not about, like, oh, the universe senses that there's a threat and it corrects the timeline. It's, no, from the perspective of the future, that's what happened. Mm Mm-hmm. End of story. Like, like all the shit you did back there didn't matter. Like, it was, quote-unquote, was "was always going to happen that way, Mm -hmm. because that's the way it happened. Right. Like, (laughs) everything you did in the past, or everything Bruce Willis does in the past, is just causing the events of the future to come to pass, because there is no alternate timeline. There is
0: no changing it. There is only what happened <laughs> if you experienced it it was the last iteration <laughs> exactly that is that is the best way to put it yeah you
1: you you are you are living in future 7.0 like,
0: we're out of beta like, yeah and uh, I mean, I guess we can we can just jump into a brief overview. Uh, did you ever see the short this is based on? No, I haven't. Have you? Uh, I wrote down that I need to fucking watch it. Yeah, I mean, it's based I, on a
1: short film called La Jetée from France from it, like the seventies or something.
0: Yeah, I, I watched it years ago, but I mean, it's it's very short and it's a series of stills, if I remember correctly. It is? Yeah, it's it's definitely not like a full narrative. So it's a so it's a slideshow, not a movie. I believe it's a slideshow with musical backdrop with the same loop where it's someone realizes they're seeing their own death. Oh, okay. Somehow. I I don't remember exactly. But there
1: isn't like a crazy-ass plague involved, and at no point does a player show up. (laughs) Um, There's
0: there's no underground cities or anything like that. Um, Which, why
1: did they have to
0: abandon the surface? I thought it was just sort of maintaining an airlock, like keeping the virus out. Gotcha. Was the gotcha, idea. Gotcha.
1: Mm, that makes sense. Okay, sure. Whatever.
0: And I mean, it seemed like animals were roaming around. Like That, that seems to vacillate between being important and being entirely a red herring. Yeah. But it did seem kind of dangerous up there with lions roaming about. Yeah. It's
1: like a really weird number of animals. Like, <laughs> like how did, like, just rando lion, like, how is there, because, you know, they've been underground for, like, a couple decades at this point, how is a breeding population of lions running around in Philadelphia? I mean, I guess they got busy after they were let <laughs> out of the zoo. <laughs> Yeah, okay, whatever. Um,
0: so walk us through the basic premise of this 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 crazy-ass time travel movie. Okay, so Bruce Willis is a prisoner in the future. Do we even know exactly what he did? Nope. They say, yeah. All right, so... Uh, like all prisoners, he's kept in a tiny cage. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, not not to jump the gun too much, but I guess while we're just going into the narration point of view, I thought this did a really interesting job of... Rewatching it I thought there was going to be more about is this real or not but mm. the movie seemed to go out of its way to say this is really happening where yeah. like he disappears from that room and yeah. they can't find where he went yeah and it's I just thought that how they played with that was really fascinating how later in the movie he's downing it himself when it yeah. seems like the movie has built a concrete case against him yeah
1: well, I think in, later in the movie when he's doubting it, the feeling I got was he just wants to be done, right? And he's like,
0: you know what? I'm gonna just I'm gonna take door number two, right? Right. Fuck all <laughs> this. <laughs> but it's just such an interesting structure for movies that are so yeah. often built in the reverse. Oh no, way. he definitely really time traveled. Like other characters see pictures of him in World War One. Right. Right. Like, <laughs> but it's just it's an interesting way to go about it. Oh, so yeah. many other movies they they play off the. I mean, he's in an asylum. Like yeah. our narrator might be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I guess just the the quick and dirty version he 's a prisoner in the future. The future has been driven underground because of some kind of plague uh he 's sent outside as an observer in like a big hazmat style ventilation suit which which you get the feeling that they do that with prisoners because people
1: who go outside often don 't come back uh-huh and you can like knock off some of your sentence by
0: volunteering for this super dangerous job. I mean, were you picked at random? Because wasn't wasn't he talking to his buddy? And yeah. It was you, sort of. They just call out your name. Yeah, and then you quote volunteer. Ah, right, right. Yeah. I see. Um, yeah. So he. One gets the feeling that the volunteering is not as voluntary as <laughs> as they might be selling it. Yeah, um, and so Bruce Wolse is outside exploring, doing his his volunteer work and we see the iconography of the 12 monkeys almost immediately. Yeah. So this is a pretty cool... I mean, I, I guess it's a red herring is probably the most accurate it's way to put 100% it. 100% a red herring. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem to have much of an impact on, on the rest of the movie looking backwards. But... <laughs> it's just a stupid thing that happened the same day. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great that, like, even the opening credits sequence is animated monkeys. Like, it's yeah. it's a really... It's a cool plot device yeah. to use. Um, so... uh it seems in the future they they believe that the army of the 12 monkeys that has left left these emblems all over town uh, on the surface that they sort of let loose this plague as sort of vengeance on humanity or whatever it is yeah. some sort of crazy movement and uh, they've driven humanity underground. Do they say how many people died? I mean, no, you get you get I, the sense there are tiny pockets most of them. Yeah. Um most of the people are dead. It seems like we have a, a snowpiercer train underground yeah. kind of vibe, like not a whole ton of people. Yeah. Somewhat more plausible than the snowpiercer train. <laughs> Somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, after Willis is is sort of um, done being used exploring the outside, he's a scrub down, like the beginning of Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he sort of is moved on to the next level of volunteering, which is traveling into the past as an investigator. Yeah. And this uh, sort of what we alluded to earlier, they get right into the the scientist characters that are in charge of these crazy schemes. They get into you're not going back to change anything. You can't change anything. Yeah. You are going to try and get as much research as you can to help us in the future. Yeah. So I guess I guess in the modern sense that, or in modern sense in the in the narrative sense that really is the present. Like yeah. sort of what the scientists are doing is undefined. In the future. So they're trying to get information because it's still malleable.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, because even, even when Bruce Willis is in 1996, he says things like, this is the past, Mm -hmm. like in the present, like he doesn't refer to 2036 or whatever that year is as the future. He calls it the present over and over and over. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm in the past. This is this is an
0: oil painting, as far
1: as I'm concerned.
0: Right, like, so I cannot change this. So that does seem to sort of jibe with what they're trying to do. Is yeah. they actually can change things? Yeah. So it's because, not the point of view where all time exists at the same time. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, this seems, seems can... to be more playhead on a VCR kind of thing.
1: Well, it's 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 again, I think, a matter of perspective
0: like well they're this, operating under the assumption that they can change the future.
1: Yeah, I mean they they can change the future the same way you and I like you could you could go into work tomorrow and you could quit your job. Mm-hmm. And you could start a whole you could go to Mexico. I could uh I could jump off a bridge.
0: So that's like, assuming that this is the present and this isn't the past. Yeah. Well, <laughs> then
1: but now like I, we could do both of those. We could we could do any number of things. Um <laughs> so let's fuck. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but if we go in if we go into the year 2036, then we look back and those choices have already been made. So mm-hmm. if those scientists were to look back from the year 2065, then whatever they did in 2035 will have been done. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that in 2035 they can't do whatever they want, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like. I feel like we might get a nosebleed talking about this movie. <laughs> yeah, I
0: feel like I've taken a off track.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, did that make sense, though? No, no, I, I know yeah. what you're saying.
0: I just think it's an interesting distinction that from this... Because I really thought I had it, and then I tried to say it with my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) I know what that's like. Yeah. But (laughs) I I just think it's an interesting distinction that it's like, oh, the past can't be changed. But then you're operating under the assumption that this is the present and we can change things. Sort of operating
1: from a place of present privilege. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Check your present privilege, Uh Bruce (laughs) Willis. So... Uh, so we've, we've heard tell from, uh, Bruce Wolfson and, and his cellmate that, uh, people who go in for these more advanced experiments, you know, they sort of, they lose touch with reality and it sounds like a pretty dangerous proposition. Time travel's pretty shitty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, expressed as whipping a camera by a picket fence or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, that's uh, <laughs> just, that's all, that's all they're doing. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> so, uh. <laughs> they stick you in a tube and shine
1: lights on you and then you're in the <laughs> past. <laughs> Terry did not have a lot of money. He spent it all on the CGI bear <laughs>
0: or the, the the giraffes or whatever. So I guess the time travel they they went a little bit. Being John Malkovich, you're just kind of dumped out somewhere, yeah, by the side of the road. So you have to deal with you know a, a Terminator time orb or anything like that. Yeah, you just kind of <laughs> there you are. So uh, it's also
1: an extremely inexact science. guess. <laughs> Which uh, that, that's this is why like again this might be my favorite kind of time travel is like shitty time travel. <laughs> I love shitty time travel. Like your DeLorean with your little dial and everything. Like I mean, obviously the DeLorean's awesome, uh-huh. but like it's another one of the many many things I love about Doctor Who is very often the Doctor does not show up where he wants to. <laughs> like he has like the the TARDIS is by his own admission a, a kind of an antique. Mm-hmm. Like he stole it from a museum. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he'll just pop up and be like, "Oh yeah, I fucking
0: overshot this by 200 years." This is not a good look, guys. <laughs> yeah, and they're clearly still figuring it out yeah. like how to do this stuff exactly. So, just uh, real quick
1: before we move on, mm-hmm. I re- my, probably my favorite production design touch in this whole movie is the chair that they sit him in when they explain time travel to him Mm -hmm. like when bruce willis like gets led into this room and all the doctors are like 50 feet away behind (laughs) like a table which again is is mirrored there's a lot of like mirroring between the future and the past yeah yeah. and even within the past like i have a lot of shit i want to talk about in terms of just how sets are designed and how the camera works Mm -hmm. but uh like him being sat down mirrors you know him being sat down in front of the panel of psychiatrists when he's in the in the past Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, talking, you know, in the asylum and everything, but they sit him in this chair, and then the chair just raises up twenty feet. <laughs> and as if that wasn't cool enough, then this weird ass fucking sphere with monitors all over it gets stuck in his face. I God, I love that sphere. Oh God, I'd take that thing behind a middle school and get
0: it pregnant if I could.
1: Oh, <laughs>
0: that feels kind of like the uh, the Monty Python side of yep. just having the row of doctors way back and stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's wonderful. Yeah, and sort of as you were saying about the mirroring in the in the future and the past, yeah, I believe that that's totally like Gilliam's style and a fascinating thing. But uh, when I mentioned earlier about the idea of it seems like they make a very concrete case that he's traveling in time, yeah. seeing stuff like that makes me wonder if there was ever a cut in mind that was more... Ambiguous? Yeah, yeah. because there is so much yeah. of that. Well, they do it within the past. Like
1: the, the big one that stuck out for me was later, whenever, uh, whenever Bruce Willis and the psychiatrist find the army of the 12 monkeys down in like the shitty part of Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and they go in, Like the camera pushes through all this foliage, because we're in a jungle, because monkeys. And then we <laughs> see them inside there. And then it does the exact same thing when we go to Christopher Plummer's big banquet. Um, we push through a bunch of foliage to see them. And it's like, see, like the oppressors and the oppressed—they're all just a bunch of monkeys dancing mm-hmm. around. And I'm like, oh, you're—he's doing this over and over and over. Um, he even does it uh, like later with the—well, that's actually a plot point when they when they see the pig head mm-hmm. um, when they're flashing the stuff. Anyway, um, so yeah. Yeah. and
0: I mean, I guess there could probably also be issues of his. His mind is probably a bit scrambled as he's going yeah. through all this time travel. So maybe his perceptions are—you know—they're making themselves more like each other. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I keep saying I'm going to do a short synopsis and then not doing it. So I guess the the Sorry. real quick and blunt ass not your fault is uh is so Bruce Willis has these visions from the very beginning of the movie that are pretty clearly flashbacks from when he was a small child. Yeah, and he's at the airport and he sees a man shot down and uh, a woman with blonde hair screaming no as security shoots him. Yeah. Um, and so this was, uh, a, a traumatizing event that happens to him when he's young. He reveals later on in the movie, it was a few days before everyone started getting sick or a couple weeks or whatever yeah. he says. So this is one of his last memories being sort of above ground as part of normal world. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he's sent back to investigate things and a lot of stuff happens that we'll discuss. And the big sort of twist at the end of the movie is that he's watching himself be gunned down. Uh, yeah. In a uh, a late movie decision to try and actually thwart what happens in the future, he tries to chase down the guy with the virus and gets gunned down because the future can't be changed like that. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to cut in Nelson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, we need more uh, more stingers or whatever on this yeah. show. <laughs> no, I meant into the movie. Oh. Um, <laughs> like,
1: I just want him standing next to little Bruce Willis just with a ha-ha.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good.
1: Um, yeah, so that's that's basically it. Um, yeah, so that's sort of the the, uh,
0: the overview that we're looking at as we discuss the first, all these things.
1: Yeah, he gets sent back first, and he gets sent back like a year too early, and he has to hang out in an asylum, and then they snap him back into the present from uh, from the asylum and send him back again like a year later, mm-hmm. and then he does his investigating. Well, when yeah, they send him back again, sort of where he's supposed to be. Sent. First, they send him into World War One for a minute, <laughs> um, where he gets shot because mm-hmm. <laughs> World War One sucks. I I'm so glad to see World War One show up because like we don't talk about World War One nearly enough. Like mm-hmm. World War Two was you know awful. A lot of people died. Really yeah. sad, but it was. World War I was just awful. Put the trench in trench warfare. Yeah. Like, God, everything was muddy and full of gas that would make you choke. Ugh. And, like, every, oh, just, ooh, yeah. World War I was just a fucking meat grinder i don't don't remember the exact timeline if i had to
0: pick a war to be fighting in (laughs) i would absolutely pick two (laughs) that is not a question well (laughs) i I don't remember the exact timeline but also isn't world war one before a lot of like antibiotics and uh things that prevented you from dying from any kind of severe injury uh the (laughs) survival i've I've read stuff about like the survivability of a bullet wound Mm -hmm. and like how it's gone
1: how how that's changed from like the uh civil war to now mm-hmm. and yeah there were the the delta was pretty significant between the two <laughs> world wars um i forget exactly what it was but we were still in like nope sorry we're gonna have to cut your shit off um times yeah, um, yeah. i think that like world war one itself precipitated a lot of medical innovations in how to keep people alive because mm-hmm. we had to figure that shit out right and well specifically the french did uh-huh. um, <laughs> The line was right there. No, yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it was when World War Two came around. Like a lot of people had figured out a lot of things, and you know, m- medicine involves a whole lot in the space of thirty years. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> But yeah, he gets sent to World War One for a hot second, mm-hmm. and then sees a buddy of his <laughs> who's also ended up in World War One, and is like, "They keep sending us back. This sucks." Uh-huh. <laughs> Chasing him through time, yeah. A needy cellmate. Yeah. Well, I love in the oh, it was his cellmate, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, Jose. I yeah. Well, I love doesn't isn't it Jose who shows up at the airport at the end mm-hmm. too? Yeah. So the very end, he makes because there's a vo- he's told in the in the past like in the in the present when you get to the past like whatever you find out call this number and just leave a voicemail and uh you know we'll we'll
0: we'll help you we'll get it here and then that'll that's how you can communicate with us did he even know it was voicemail because he seemed to think that people were going to pick up when he called oh like, yeah 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 it, yeah it seemed like he was given very little information how any of this was going to work oh yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> he was chosen because he's good at remembering things here's a phone number off you go <laughs> yeah <laughs> good luck um,
1: i mean it seems like they have a pretty decent sized supply of criminals and like <laughs> i guess like the cost of time the the, the the marginal cost of firing up the time machine, like, isn't that high? Because you mm-hmm. can just keep shooting convicts into the into the past <laughs> until something until they get one of them gets something right. So you think they're like nonviolent drug offenders? <laughs> you know, probably. <laughs> until they populate the past, yes. <laughs> just a whole bunch of people who caught with like got caught with like a, a gram of coke and they end up in ni- in the nineties. <laughs> How apropos? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, um yeah, so where where do we start with this fucking movie man? <laughs> I don't even know. Um so uh, to to begin with uh the, like oh again in the very fir- one of the very first things that happens is that match so we start on that flashback and then the airport voice turns into the prison intercom mm-hmm. um so we're we're matching you know right from the beginning we're right.
0: paralleling the pre- the present and the past and also it's worth pointing out that his uh that flashback doesn't seem to be static cuz he he at least sees Brad Pitt in place of the real yeah. Treacherous guy. Memory
1: is mutable. Yeah. Um, so
0: so they do pretty interesting things with that flashback, sort of as it's as it's uh, coming into focus for him. Jesus by Christ we're already movie.
1: 40 minutes in and we're, uh, we're uh, I guess we talked a little bit during the pre-roll. But anyway, um mm-hmm. whew, lot to cover. <laughs> Let's
0: do this. I'm sure we'll start to lose energy and, and cut acts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So yeah, take us through this thing, man. This shit was your idea. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, I wrote down too much. Yeah. Um,
1: let's see. So, uh he he wakes up in the cell and he's sent up to the surface where I guess the virus has turned everything blue. Um is all <laughs> I can figure like because it seemed like is it just winter up there and nighttime because like what I expected when he got up up was something more like, oh, look how nature's reclaimed everything, but it seems almost like nuclear wintery up there. Yeah, um are we to believe that like all the nuclear power plants melted down with no one operating them? Because just for those of us listening, those of you listening at <laughs> home, that's not how nuclear plants work. Like pretty much all of them have a built-in failsafe that like won't nuke the world if we if there's not someone at the button. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we thought of that,
0: everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I just sort of assumed that it was the combination of no society and it was winter was sort of how I took it, but. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I took it more as a stylistic choice of it, sort of, yeah. you know, made it look a lot more treacherous in yeah. that fucking from, bear. <laughs> yeah, and from the beginning, like you definitely get
1: a feeling of how like powerless Bruce Willis is as a prisoner in the present. Mm-hmm. Like he's. He's so resigned. Like, even when, when that chair that they put him in to talk to him about going back into the past, like, lifts up, he doesn't even react. Like, a lesser director would have had him, like, look at his manacles and be like, you're... Oh, but he's just like, this is... Whatever. He like, does
0: seem a little bit pre-broken.
1: Yeah. He's definitely, like, already been through enough of a meat grinder that he's like, like, how much worse can everything be? Like, we're, we're, we're essentially tunnel rats, and I'm the rattiest of
0: them all. <laughs> So, Fuck everything. So looking at my notes, I believe is, he's going to 96 and he gets sent back to 90 by accident, I think. Uh, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Neither 90 or 95. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of, that's how he first meets uh, Dr. Rayleigh or Madeline Stowe. Yeah. And how he first meets Brad Pitt uh, yeah. when he gets locked up in an asylum.
1: Yeah. And all the asylum stuff is is, is pretty, pretty wonderfully nutty. Yeah. Um, I enjoy it a whole lot. Like, it's, it's,
0: it's, it's, it's one of the better movie asylums, I think. It was a nice mashup of sort of the sensibilities of, like, One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest mixed yeah. with a,
1: a little python. <laughs> and in yet another bit of paralleling, which I'm going to keep pointing out, he's scrubbed down as a prisoner before going back in time, and then one of the first things the asylum does uh. is scrub him down. Like... This is just what his life is.
0: <laughs> Being like, a prisoner in various ways. <laughs> yeah,
1: like it's funny because like we're paralleling, you know, the present and the past to say what it seems to be saying is like nothing changes. Like which is the whole point of the ending too, is like nothing changes. Like mm-hmm. this is just what we do. Right. Is we're we're all monkeys and we run around in circles. Um because the monkeys are in a circle in a symbol. All twelve. Yes. All twelve <laughs> of them. Um
0: yeah, so Then, uh, yeah, go ahead. So he meets, uh, Brad Pitt in an asylum. Well, I guess it's, it's pretty much immediate, right? As he's sort of, uh, Madeline Stowe, we're introduced to her in the 90s as she's being told about a mental patient who is sort of, it took six cops to bring him down and he's ranting and raving. Yeah. And, uh. I mean, right now we're not hearing a lot of great things about Bruce Willis, but he is not afraid to fucking drool all over himself and look pretty hideous throughout this movie. It's you know, <laughs> I
1: think, I think, you know, again, I don't know Bruce Willis, mm-hmm. um, but if I had to guess, like the things that he seems passionate about, he really does like bring his A game. Mm-hmm. I just don't
0: think he's passionate about <laughs> Die Hard 5. Right. Or, or Cop fewer Out. and further between.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, I think, you know, he's, for whatever reason, he keeps taking these projects that he doesn't really give a shit about. And you know he phones it in um, because he you know wants a vacation, and then he acts by, by multiple reports he acts kind of shitty on set, and that's a whole thing. But like when you put him in something he gives a shit about, he's a very very good actor.
0: Uh-huh. Like, I mean, Ryan Johnson sort of had nothing but nice things to say after Looper. Really, and I would imagine that's probably one of the more original things he's been involved with. Oh yeah, in a yeah. long time, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a fucking great example. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, so he uh, he's drooling like he's really swinging for the insanity fences. Yeah, I mean he goes for it in this movie. I was yeah, impressed. It's real good, and I love 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 one of my favorite touches in the whole movie is that one uh, the the large African American fella in the <laughs> asylum who's like I'm not really from outer space. Oh yeah, like uh, divergent realities. <laughs> yeah, who's like just like no, I'm mental, and he's clearly saying like I'm mentally ill because that's that's been explained to me. And I actually prefer the reality in which I'm mentally ill to the one in which I'm from outer space. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, now that I think about it, is a very nice foreshadowing of the decision that uh, Bruce Willis makes towards the end of the movie. Is like, fuck it. I'm not a time traveler. I'm crazy. <laughs> I don't want this responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's like a garden. Like, what if Jesus had just decided, <laughs> like, you know what? I'm probably just crazy. And um, it's, it's let's a little, believe that.
0: It's a little uh, Beautiful Mind. Yeah, yeah like, eh, I'll just live with it and know that it's not really there. <laughs> yeah, except, you know, John Nash was... Yeah, friend. I've um, heard that movie is not the uh, the most accurate.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I kind of doubt it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so then he meets Brad Pitt, who is just, like, giving the tour and syncing with the Tex Avery cartoon that's on the <laughs> fucking TV. Like, just, oh, Brad Pitt is such a fucking good actor yeah like, someone else who fucking
0: goes for it and yeah. thankfully terry gilliam was the right person to sort of shepherd these performances and make it totally work yeah
1: yeah he's he's so goddamn good um and he's you know uh yeah he's got gather, gathering information not trying to change the past he's trying to convince these doctors that he's from the present um and trying to talk to them about like no like this is the past i'm in the past no i can't change anything don't be silly <laughs> um i'm just here to gather information um yeah it's uh it's it's real 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 good stuff um
0: yeah so uh Jeffrey Goins it, it appears while sort of uh It it is foreshadowing that he's part of the plot later he does seem to be rather important not just as the tour guide but he he gives him the key <laughs> to help him escape yeah so clearly he has some sort of influence or power of uh He's portrayed as as someone that clearly doesn't have as, all his marbles, but yeah. also probably does have a little bit of the influence that he's talking about and uh, about his father, yeah. who we insists is God. <laughs> yeah, at first. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I mean, the, so yeah, let's Jeffrey Goins, Brad Pitt's character. Mm-hmm. Um, let's
1: let's 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 dig into this guy for a second, because when we first meet him, he's just a crazy guy, mm-hmm. and then later we see him, and it's like, oh God, like he really is, you know, the scion of this uh, incredibly wealthy family who's been, which you'd think they'd send him to a better asylum then, but whatever. Um, Black sheep for a period, I guess. Yeah, he's the black sheep of the family, and then he kind of, like, tamps down his crazy because he realizes that, like, if he really wants to accomplish his increasingly super-villainous goals, (laughs) then he needs to kind of play the game a little bit. And, good, yeah, uh, and it's funny that he's in a movie with Frank Gorshin, did mm-hmm. you notice Frank Gorshin? I didn't. He's one of the doctors. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Yeah, and like and Brad Pitt is clearly just the Riddler. <laughs> like he's just being the Riddler yeah. in front of
0: Frank Gorshin. <laughs> like that's that can't be a coincidence. <laughs> I wonder what contact, uh, contact lens technology was like at the time, because yeah. that, that did not look comfortable, yeah, whatever no, that was doing to Brad Pitt's eyes. Yeah, no, he looked pretty rough, man. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, they, they, he, they kind of get to know each other, and I, I kind of got the feeling that he just sensed a kinship in Bruce Willis of like, oh yeah, you're, you're an idealist who's, who's trying to fight for something you believe in too, an agent of chaos, and also you won't tell me to shut up. <laughs> and you're like I, I think that's the main thing that that fucking brad pitt wants is just to be listened to mm-hmm. um and and fucking bruce willis will listen to him and so he just goes on and on and on and then he kind of remembers him later
0: yeah so we're, we're... not fondly <laughs> <laughs> so we're uh yeah that's that's another interesting one when he tries to turn it back on him of that Bruce Willis introduced to the idea of this plague and stuff. Yeah, uh, so that's how he meets Jeffrey Goines, and it's also how uh, Madeline Stowe is sort of filled in on all his all his backstory. Yeah. and explains how she'll know who he is six years later. Yeah, when Leesh. he suddenly resurfaces. Yeah,
1: so so basically, uh, Br- Jeffrey Goines decides to just try and bust him out, and gives him a key, and then makes a huge scene so that the guards will be distracted. And, unfortunately, uh, Bruce Willis has just been dosed pretty heavily with a sedative. <laughs> yeah. so he, Having a good Pulp Fiction-style stumble around. <laughs> yeah, so he almost makes it out, but then the guards get him, and they put him in solitary and, like, strap him down. And then when they go back in the room, he's fucking gone. Mm-hmm. And he's in a cell in the present now. And there's a dude talking to him from the vents who might be a homeless guy in the
0: past, too. Mm-hmm. A great cut through the uh, sewer pipe or whatever it was. Yeah. Or on the vent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we never see him in in the present, though, right? I don't believe
1: so. I think yeah. he's always a voice through the walls and through the vents. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then we meet him in the past, and we're like, oh, shit.
0: Um, yeah, who... That, that introduced another thing is when Madeline Stowe... Attacks the homeless guy later. You know, accosts the homeless guy later, yeah. and he doesn't seem to know what's going on. It's like, is this time travel taking over someone? Like, is there some other influence? It's like an Agent is... Smith kind of situation? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Or is he just sort of has is that time traveler's brain kind of scrambled as well, and that's why he doesn't seem yeah. to know what's going on? Is it just kind of Gilliam fucking with things, like kind of in a Brazil or style? is he <laughs> in the
1: past before he's like run it, been filled in on the whole Bruce Willis thing? Are we meeting that guy at an earlier point in his personal timeline? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm yeah. just spitballing here, but maybe that's what's going on. Uh, yeah, I mean, the,
0: the the rules seem to be a, a bit loose.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could be that he's just been driven insane by time travel because mm-hmm. that that definitely seems like a side effect of it. Is like, I don't think. I think part of the point of this movie is like, we're not supposed to do this. Uh-huh. Like, we're, not, we're not built for this shit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty rough on, on you. Um, not smooth sailing. No, no, it's not. <laughs> so he gets sucked back into the present where uh, they show him a bunch. So they, they change his mission at this point, right? Is a this, little.
0: Is this with the degraded phone message? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: They play this 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 phone message that they got to that, uh, because at one point he calls it when he's in the asylum, right? He wants his phone call and he calls it and it's a carpet cleaning service.
0: You no, know, he calls it and it's uh, a family. Oh, that's right. It's the, a family. he's too early, so they haven't, they that's don't have that phone number right. yet. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's fucking
1: awesome. <laughs> and, Playing into his delusions. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, then he gets into the present and they play a, uh, a message that they've gotten on the phone number that they gave him. And it's mm-hmm. a woman's voice saying, uh,
0: the what is she? What is she saying? Like she gives the address of the army of the twelve monkeys, and uh, like they're the ones that are going to do it. I, I think she basically gives the address of the pighead building. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then, but she thinks that they don't really do anything. Well, she thinks that they're just liberating animals. Yeah. No. She, does she say it's not the twelve monkeys? I think they're she not says the ones is that them. do it. I think she says <laughs> it is them. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember. Because I thought when she called and left the message it was when they saw that it was all about um releasing animals
1: no they the, she says it's the army of the 12 monkeys uh and then they see that it's about releasing animals when they're in the cab on the way to the airport
0: oh that's right yeah. okay so but she still doesn't think it's serious no she doesn't right no. so so cuz she leaves the merry christmas and thinks it's like a prank because she doesn't understand she thinks no. it really is a carpet cleaning company
1: yeah exactly oh, okay yeah. right now, now later I'm in the movie when, a bit. yes yeah so the, the the phone message was left by madeline stowe
0: and <laughs> this movie scrambled my brain a little bit yeah, yeah also yeah also
1: uh dear, dear listener we did watch this a couple of weeks ago we meant to record <laughs> earlier but uh unfortunately my downstairs neighbor's apartment burned down and i've had a little bit to deal with <laughs> yeah
0: i was busy with work john had to defy death it was a whole thing <laughs> it was a bit of a deal <laughs> um
1: yeah so um t- t-
0: So they they play him this degraded voice message, uh, which as we discover later on in the movie was her leaving a voicemail that they did receive in the future, but was just degraded so he didn't instantly recognize it as her voice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And then they flash a bunch of images at him And
1: it's, uh, when they flash the images, like, one of the images they flash is Jeffrey Goins. Yeah, like picketing or something? Yeah, and then they flash another image after that, and it's the pig head building. Mm. So that's actually introduced at that point. And then later he sees it, and then he gets, he follows that whole thing down. Right, But at this point, like, they flash Jeffrey Goins' pig head building, and then he says, go back, and then they go back to Goins. But you see the pig head building Mm. there, Um, which I thought, because I wrote it down, was, I thought that they were just like, oh, they're saying he's a pig. Um, and I thought it was an image exposition <laughs> because I forgot that the pig head building is a plot point later. Uh-huh. Um, but I was fucking wrong. <laughs> um, so, um, anyway... The uh, so they see that he's picketing and he's like, oh my god, I guess he got out of the asylum in the, at some point. Good, good for him. Because uh-huh. <laughs> um, at this point in the movie, like, I didn't really have the feeling that he was like a villainous presence. Like, he seems like a pretty okay dude, you know, crazy notwithstanding, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't recall them sort of playing him as foreboding or anything like that. Yeah, he's, he doesn't seem like that bad of a dude. Um, yeah, so then they send him back again and say uh like what what do, in what way do they change his mission remind me because they definitely like iterate upon it and they're like now we want to send you back and do this
0: well, i'm in my notes i have there sorry we sent you to an asylum well they have, <laughs> they, they feel a little bit aggro because <laughs> they're they're like why would someone make you take drugs like they're not really trying yeah. to get an accurate account they're more reprimanding him <laughs> yeah yeah but uh he eats the spider in 1990 which they were impressed by. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about eating the spider. So I guess sort of his ingenuity is they're like, yeah. "Oh, I guess this guy's good in the field." Like, yeah. I don't know why he would do that, but it's an idea. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, you know, he gets the spider back into the present that way and and they can they can extract it.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I extract it <laughs> in his poop. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably not the least pleasant i think we found the guy on
1: i think we found the guy on the prison volunteer ladder who's under time travelers (laughs) time traveler poop sifter
0: (laughs) maybe it's after the mine's too far gone they just put a (laughs) shovel in their hand (laughs) uh let's see so yeah i mean i just put he's offered another chance to go back into the past so i think it's just sort of they're impressed with him for eating the spider and stuff and they sort of let him go back if he wants And he's like, yeah, sure. And then they accidentally send him to World War One. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jose on a nearby gurney. Yeah.
1: And then he gets shot. Well, he gets shot before he sees Jose because he shows up fucking naked in <laughs> World War One. That's like the worst place to be naked there is. Like, I think naked during the Black Plague would be maybe worse. But at least it's more socially acceptable then because a lot of people were so poor they just couldn't afford clothes. Right. Um
0: yeah, it's, I don't know a lot about how it, feudalism it, it, worked. Uh, not a great surprise, by no, any measure. No. <laughs>
1: like You're nude, and there's projectiles. Um, fuck. And also, there might be gas soon, and all your orifices are exposed. Gas Ugh. gonna get in your butthole. <laughs> I don't uh, know how gas works, either. <laughs> yeah,
0: there must be settlements from testing that at yeah. some point. <laughs> uh, it's <good> so, <laughs> after our, our brief interlude in uh in World War One. Yeah. We snap forward to nineteen ninety six, but we don't immediately see Cole. We see uh Dr. Rayleigh giving a presentation about how uh the world may end. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, like apocalyptic visions and how that relates to mental illness or something. Yes. And then and then sinister character actor A shows up.
0: <laughs> and as this is the second time we've seen this movie, <gasps> that's the guy. Yeah. And we know it. They put him this early in the movie. <laughs> and he's talking to her about the apocalypse. Fuck! <laughs> yeah it's it's actually pretty
1: fucking obvious the second time around yeah like, random character actor who's in, who's the villain in so much shit shows up and talks about the apocalypse for a second because this was like a year after he was like the secondary bad guy in fucking the rock like oh. he's never a good guy in anything for sure um yeah very good character actor I wish I remembered his name but he's he's like he's like one of the five that guys like uh you know this uh, time with a ponytail yeah throwing you off um <laughs> Yeah, so uh, she's talking, and then he uh, and Bruce Willis meets her outside the talk and kidnaps her. Mm-hmm. And then Bruce Willis, right after the kidnapping, puts in some of just the best acting I've ever seen of his when he freaks out about music. Yeah. Like, I almost... We don't have cr-
0: anything like this. I Aww. almost cried.
1: <laughs> like, he's so wounded, and, like, he goes... Like, it's the same guy who was so resigned and hopeless and like you're you're seeing like sunlight hit his soul for the first time
0: maybe ever <laughs> after he hears a commercial and thinks he's being talked directly to yeah
1: it's <laughs> so good
0: yeah um and yeah he 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 like it's it you watch
1: all these things that he has like let die in himself come back in that moment and it's just it's just heartbreakingly beautiful because you also if you've seen this movie before
0: know what's going to happen to him <laughs> yeah and know that like this is all he gets um and also a, a sweet moment of of her seeing him yeah as you know more than he he's pretty violent in the beginning and he goes on to murder people in front of her so yeah. you kind of needed some some moments for her to understand what he's going through and believe absolutely. him absolutely
1: <laughs> and also like if if it, it, it speaks to like the if he is delusional and he's not, but if he is in her mind, it's got to speak to the rigor of his delusion. Mm-hmm. Like, look how like because a lot of the times, I mean, I don't. I'm, 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 let's just make a list of shit I don't know a lot about. <laughs> One of them is mental illness, and I would imagine that when someone comes into uh, into a schizophrenic situation and says like, "Oh, I'm uh, I'm Joan of Arc" or something like that, like they Cling to that delusion, and they they uh, you know sort of play a scripted version of it, and then when it's attacked, they 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 get threatened. But what they don't do is like react so authentically with such pathos in this situation. Mm-hmm. I could be completely wrong, but I think in in terms of like movie schizophrenia, mm-hmm. that's how it plays in films. And this isn't real schizophrenia. This is movie schizophrenia,
0: um, because. Twelve Monkeys is a movie. It's weird that I'm explaining that. Um. <laughs> well, and it's, it does sort of a beautiful job um, expressing the idea that if someone is mentally ill with these delusions, sort of the fact that they're not real doesn't mean that they're not experiencing them as if they were.
1: Yeah, I like your version of this better.
0: <laughs> well, just sort um. of that, you know, even if he is a lunatic, it's sort of that, that doesn't make him less damaged by what he's been through, even if they are imaginary things. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, but that doesn't change
1: the fact that he he has kidnapped Madeline Stowe and threatened her with violence. I mean, he still has to, like, tie
0: her to the bed or whatever in the hotel room as yeah. she's watching news reports about her kidnapping. Yeah, it's it's kind of fucked
1: up. Yeah. Um, and then they, they... He's got the address,
0: and so he takes her... Why
1: does he need her at this point? Is it just, like, mm. leverage or...
0: I don't know that it's made explicitly clear. I mean, it's... I think he just needs someone to like help him get around. Yeah, I think he doesn't. He doesn't know how to drive, doesn't he? Say no, he doesn't know how to drive. Yeah, so that's probably it. Is he knows that he has to go far away, but doesn't know how to drive. And here was the nicest person to me, who knows who I am. And he,
1: yeah, and he doesn't have any money or any like way to get anywhere. Right. Um. Yeah. These guys are bad at time travel. (laughs) Um, Like. You couldn't just like shove a couple of hundos up his ass or something when you send him. Because I think he has to get sent back naked, right? It seems that way. Yeah, but he like ate the spider, so like I guess there's, you know, something like that. I mean, maybe if you get sent back, the hundos that were in your ass disappear. <laughs> I
0: don't know. So I guess Jose maybe got sent back a little earlier in World War One and found a uniform. I guess or so. He yeah. just got lucky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they
1: needed bodies. Like they probably, if, if Bruce Willis hadn't gotten shot so fast, they probably would have just thrown a uniform on right. him, too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just wipe the gangrene off and yeah. put on this guy's uniform. Exactly.
1: <laughs> wipe the gangrene off.
0: <laughs> it's also on a on one of these car rides where they're driving, where sort of the uh, the magic bullet for convincing her is revealed. Where uh, a boy is yeah. is he missing? Yeah. Where they a boy think he's in a well. There's a boy in a well. Yes, that's yeah. right. They they yeah. They, the news reports are like there's a boy a in sandwich. a well. They send yeah. out a, a sandwich monkey. <laughs> <laughs> and clearly, this has sort of captured the nation's attention, and yeah. anyone with a heart feels terrible about this story and yeah. stuff. And uh, at first, he's just flippant and doesn't seem to care at all. And then later on, he sort of blurts out that he's hiding in a barn. Yeah. So that's why he's not worried about it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and then later, Madeline Stowe hears that that turns out to have been
0: true. Yeah. So that's that's probably the biggest character moment for her in terms yeah. of being convinced. Then when you add on the bullet on top of it, it's yeah. Yeah, it harder they do to pull fight.
1: Yeah, because they do pull the bullet out of his uh, leg and say, oh, wait, this is from 1911 or mm-hmm. whenever. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he uh, the first place he goes is to see the Army of the Twelve Monkeys. And he goes in and finds out that... Uh, that Jeffrey Goins has kind of abandoned them and gone back to the loving bosom of his father who is the one developing... I think at this point he figures out that he's developing the plague. And mm-hmm. this is when we get to go to that crazy dinner party where uh, <laughs> fucking Brad Pitt uh, turns it back around on Bruce Willis and is like, yeah, I am going to release a plague. It's going to be awesome. And it was your idea, <laughs> dick.
0: Ha! Remember when you were telling me? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Remember? No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't.
1: Yes, you do. And this is when we get that great push in through the foliage that, that matches the army of the 12 monkeys with these fat cats who are hanging out with Christopher Plummer. Mm-hmm. Like... Everybody's just monkeys, man. Um,
0: it's it's fucking great. Um, I also, I thought there was something really great about how the action was staged of sort of Bruce Willis running from people and knocking them out of the way. Yeah. It was incredibly clumsy yeah. in the way that something like that would be. Of yeah. <laughs> He's like tumbling over tables and stuff yeah. like that. And I, I remember thinking that was just really viscerally staged yeah. and well done from a like... Yeah, someone with no training, like just, you know, kind of like a caged animal.
1: It's the same thing, speaking of Bruce Willis, that I love about the fights in Die Hard. Mm -hmm. Like, there is no kung fu in Die Hard. (laughs) Right. Like, there's like a dude throwing haymakers. (laughs) I love that so, so much. And just a guy getting beat on. Like, there's no grace to any of the fights. Just a bunch of big trashy Europeans. (laughs) Yeah, and there's no grace to it. There's just, I'm going to find a heavy thing and beat your head against it it until you stop moving. Uh, It's so fucking good um but yeah i love it and then he he manages to escape from the party and then uh gets back to madeline stowe who's been waiting for
0: him outside and then he just disappears in a creek well this was the uh you think he may have killed her they're still playing it we don't know how bad he is because he uh oh yeah, he approaches right. her with duct tape or something like that and yeah she's like, what are you doing and it turns out he he locked her in the trunk when yeah. he was off uh, at the party yeah you went to a party? (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that. Yeah. It's real good.
1: Um, And this is, of course, after he's taken her down into a homeless encampment and a couple
0: people have attacked her and he's murdered them Mm -hmm. um, because he's a savage dude. Um, Yeah. So that was the the first uh, meeting with homeless guy. Yeah. He he basically, was that kind of what happened? Was he gave Bruce Willis a message and then he tried to sort of follow to see what else was going on in this homeless encampment?
1: Yeah. And then there were just two rando homeless dudes who were like, you got pretty (laughs) teeth.
0: All right. Welcome back to the most troublesome episode of Refried Reviews we've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so (laughs) something
1: happened. Um, Not really a big deal. Basically, uh, we had to cut... We're recording now a week after the first half that you heard. And the reason is that uh, we record here in my apartment, and unfortunately... Um, my girlfriend had a little bit of a household mishap, um, which resulted in a, uh, small trip to urgent care and five stitches. She's fine. Yeah. Um, but we did need to take a break to, uh, to clean up a little bit of household blood and, uh, and then get five stitches done. So, uh, everything's cool now. I thought I'd be a nice guy and let you deal with that. Yeah. No, it was, uh, JP was awfully magnanimous, <laughs> uh, did a lot of really just some wonderfully encouraging words as, <laughs> as uh as we put put pressure on a uh on a wound um yeah so uh apologies if we repeat ourselves or anything like that um it is a week later even though through the magic of podcastery you listen to all of this in the same moment
0: the internet has changed the world yeah just
1: like 9-11 changed everything
0: <laughs> those are the two
1: yeah <laughs> That's it. Hit the nail on the head. Yeah. All right. So when we last left off, excuse me. I'm just going to make a quick microphone adjustment here. All right. So when we last left off, I believe Bruce Willis and Madeline Stowe were in a homeless encampment, and Bruce Willis had just beaten a man the old-fashioned way <laughs> to death. To death. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. Um, so take us from there, man. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I mean, I thought that was kind of a cool choice that. They keep him pretty scary throughout this movie. Like, it's not just emotional bonding that sort of gets better and better and better between the two. Like, yeah. she, she clearly loves him and knows that he was trying to defend her or whatever. Yeah. But just sort of keeping him a frightening, intimidating, yeah. like, caged animal figure I thought was yeah. a cool choice for it, this late in the movie.
1: It kind of makes you wonder if in the back of his head, Terry Gilliam didn't have a cut in mind where it was more ambiguous whether or not uh, Bruce Willis was crazy. Mm-hmm. Because as we've talked about, like, he... uh it's it's i feel that it's made pretty clear that he's he's on the level with mm. what he's expressing but on the other hand like when he is in 1995 he like there's a lot to call it into question and part mm. of that is how much of a threat he is during this whole sequence like tying her up in the hotel room and uh taping her up in the trunk yeah taping her up in the trunk and like this whole homeless encampment thing where like someone comes after her and like he's clearly defending her honor but he's also a savage which you know to go back to the original point he is a fucking criminal Mm -hmm. like this isn't a good guy even in the future, like we don't we don't ever know what he did, I don't believe yeah, I don't believe so um, but like
0: they say it is like a violent history and they, they hint at it or something.
1: yeah, so there you go, violent fucking history. <laughs> um, I wonder if there's more of that backstory on the cutting room floor. Yeah. I don't know if we really needed
0: it um, I mean we get it. Like, yeah, I mean, I I thought it was a cool choice, a but bad it, fucking dude. Yeah. But sort of how complex this movie is does lend itself to like. I wonder if this was found in editing or if it's as written. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. It's intriguing.
1: Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's a really interesting thing from a process standpoint.
0: Just because like I
1: can't, and I'm obviously not even a twentieth of the filmmaker that fucking Terry <laughs> Gilliam is, but like I you know I've made a couple of movies and mm-hmm. I can't imagine making a movie that way. Where, like, we're going to go in all these directions and we're going to find it in the the cutting room. Like, Mm -hmm. I can only imagine, like, okay, here's the exact story I want to tell. Here's how I'm going to tell the story. Let's go out and shoot the things we need to tell the story and come back and put them together.
0: Do you you think that is more to sort of coming up lower budget and figuring stuff out? Like, do you think you would be interested in trying it with unlimited resources? Or is it more your actual your approach is much more direct
1: my the process i just outlined is very much a function of limited budgets Um, Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, when I write, I usually write based on locations that are available and actors that are available and, like, things I know I can put together. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and I've said before that, like, I don't think at this point in my life I have, like, uh, a 2001 A Space Odyssey in me (laughs) or anything like that that's of, like, similar ambition or, like, an Inception, if you're one of those people
0: that liked Inception. (laughs) You don't have the third world-changing thing (laughs) buried deep (laughs) in your brain. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, I,
1: I can't just take, you know, the canvas of the imagination imagination and like throw it all out there i have to have a starting point of like okay you have these three things you know like i (laughs) i can only cook a good meal iron chef style i guess is what i'm saying (laughs) you
0: have an hour in shark heads go (laughs) Um, um, i wonder i wonder how much of of his process comes from a being an animator where you are in charge of every aspect of everything and then i think that's a huge
1: part of it yeah.
0: But also sort of combined with a sketch background which seems much more like we could rewrite this whole thing on set and Yeah. So that that is really sort of an interesting synergy. I never really thought about well, that Well, and those before. two things
1: are so diametrically opposed, like the meticulous nature of animation plus the loosey-goosiness of a sketch. Mm-hmm. You know, where I mean, I don't think they they didn't they didn't shoot uh they didn't like broadcast Monty Python live or anything like that. It was all mm-hmm. it was all taped. Right, right. So that means that like were they even in front of an audience? or
0: Yeah, that I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, even if they were in front of an audience, they could just say, like, oh, yeah, that version of Dead Parrot didn't work. Uh-huh. And it's only a five-minute sketch, and we got three cameras. Like, let's just shoot it again. Mm-hmm. And, like, let's make, make XYZ adjustments because the crowd didn't react. Of course, then you risk, uh, risk the crowd going stale, so they probably just would pipe in more laughs or something.
0: Right, right. Um, uh-huh. Also, there's no such thing as the Dead Parrot sketch not working. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's real fucking funny. Oh, uh-huh. yeah.
1: <laughs> My I I do prefer fruit self defense but that's just me. Um when John Cleese releases a tiger that's that's fucking gold. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just feel like the, the expert like there, there are so many things you can scream at people it from that no sketch. It is no more.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. Now we no we we, we sound like 11th graders. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so sort of in the Cole stability, yeah. uh, I also I wrote down that the during that whole homeless encampment thing the crazy preacher comes in and screams, you're one of us at him. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Implying so. that there's
1: like future, future infiltrators all over the place, mm-hmm. which, ooh.
0: yeah. And the, it, it's so fascinating. I mean, we, we talked about it a little bit already, but the idea of, he seems to have a lot of unreliable narrator properties, where if that happened, I wouldn't necessarily assume that means it definitely happened in reality because yeah. his brain scrambled time travel and blah, blah, blah. But as as we've said, like there are scenes without him where impossible things happen. Yeah. So it seems pretty clear it's not supposed to be presented that way. Yeah. But yeah, that was a lot of interesting twists here with keeping it kind of vague of how these future agents operate. Yeah uh let's see so after they get out of the encampment that real seems quick, to be I, fine I,
1: I, real quick i do want to say that like i i'm not entirely sure this whole time travel operations that will organize <laughs> um like we can't discount the possibility that these people might just universally be shitty at it right and, like just throwing convicts into the past <laughs> like 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 you would you know nilly yeah like you would noodles at the wall to see what sticks <laughs> <laughs> like
0: Well, wasn't the, didn't didn't crazy homeless voiceover in the vents have a, you know, science isn't an exact science all the time or something (laughs) like that? Science (laughs) is not an exact science. (laughs) Which Um, I
1: believe is also something that, uh, speaking of Christopher Nolan, uh, David Bowie, as Nikola Tesla says in The Prestige. Oh, nice. Yeah, Um, (sighs) Underrated movie, by the way. Yeah, that's a good one. Prestige is good. I think it's, uh, I like it better than Inception or Interstellar, actually. Hmm. Um, I don't really like Interstellar.
0: I'm a big Inception fan. I liked Interstellar, but um I'm very aware of all the issues with it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I liked Inception better before I started listening to Harmontown. mm mm-hmm. And have you listened to the early Harmon Towns, like start from the beginning? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> he did not like Inception. <laughs> like, he just keeps <laughs> going on about how fucking dream within a dream within a dream. <laughs> That's like an idea that a fifth
0: grader would have. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't unsee it. Like I do love Dan Harmon where I, I do feel like I enjoy seeing him shit on things even if I love them. Yeah, yeah. Cause he's he's yeah, he shits on them in, you know, a right way. He gets <laughs> himself into the right kind of drunken tizzy. Yeah. <laughs> his his apoplexy is is super entertaining. <laughs> anyway, so, so this Bruce movie. Willis killed a couple dudes. Yeah. And seems to just kind of wander off. Cause then they uh they immediately see sort of the building that they're searching for. Which, was it... Did he remember the pig head from the images he saw? I think he did, yeah. I see. Yeah. Um, so this is where we're, we're introduced to the... Um, what was this? This was the... We're introduced to Goyne's assistants who, you know, he sort of has turned on them and sold out according to them. Yeah.
1: We get to know just how shitty the Army of the Twelve Monkeys really is.
0: Yeah. The first real red herring hint. Yeah. Of, like, these people destroy the world? Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: in this in this what appears to be a florist shop or
0: something <laughs> I don't know yeah that's it's a lot of like jungle decor <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, they chat for a while that we sort of pick up the, the whole thing. I think we already discussed it last week of yeah. sort of Brad Pitt sort of switching sides and yeah. is now um, working, you know, and with his father. That, then
1: we get that, uh, you know, m- graphic match of pushing through the foliage to get into the Army of the Twelve Monkeys and then pushing <laughs> through the foliage to get to Christopher Plummer with the Southern for <laughs> a Southern accent for 2020 dinner. I love Southern Christopher Plummer, by the way. He's real fun.
0: Hey, it's hard not to. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard not to love him.
1: I love all Christopher Plummers. Have you ever seen Star Trek Six?
0: Uh, which one is
1: it? It's uh the undiscovered country,
0: that one. I don't the think moment. So.
1: Oh, it's yeah, it's real good. Uh, Nick Meyer, who directed two, came back for six. Oh. Um, and I think he wrote it too. But it's I think the second best one. It's real, real good. And uh, and I didn't uh, know he ever came back to do more. Christopher Plummer plays an evil Klingon who has this great line. He quotes Shakespeare. He's a really big Shakespeare fan. He's like, "You have not experienced Shakespeare until mm. you've read it in the original Klingon." <laughs> And I don't know if he's just been subjected to propaganda or like (laughs) it's not explained further, but like he's just fucking wrong about this thing. Uh,
0: (laughs) If it's not explained further, I probably like it all the more. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's 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 real, real
1: delicious.
0: (laughs) So uh they basically do they tie up the hippies
1: and leave them there? Um, I th- I don't remember. I think they just le- well, no. There's there's people outside looking for them. There's cops outside, mm. um, because cops are looking for you know Madeline Stowe. Yeah, yeah. And there's an APB out, but I don't remember exactly how they get out. But they do escape yeah. this situation. The encounter ends.
0: The main takeaway is they learn about uh, Brad Pitt, what he's up to, and they steal the Rolodex. So they, yeah, is that so they can find Brad Pitt directly, yeah. or is it more circuitous? Yeah. <laughs> and
1: then they go to the hoity-toity dinner, mm-hmm. and then Brad Pitt tries to convince uh tries to convince Bruce Willis that uh
0: in an awesome pencil mustache.
1: Yeah. That that the whole <laughs> thing was his idea. Which correct me wrong, we never see a conversation where he's like, you should release a plague. Or he oh, never no, mentions no. They, a plague. They
0: they have one where they sort of Bruce Willis is drugged in, and mentioning that there's a plague in the future and yeah. I think doesn't um is that the semmelweis? Like, Brad Pitt launches into developing uh, antibiotics and, that. and Anyway, I think they have a conversation about infections and stuff. Yeah. But it, it's definitely not, like, Bruce Willis giving him the idea of a plague. Yeah. That's, it's clearly Brad Pitt twisting that against him.
1: Yeah, because in the moment watching it, I definitely had, like, a, hey, wait, is that... Did, did they? Did he, <laughs> oh, shit, maybe. I don't know. Like, so much about this movie is building on the idea of an unreliable narrator from so many different fucking
0: angles that mm-hmm. like you're just questioning everything by the end and, and also, it's he really was... masterful at that oh yeah and he was saying it to someone else in an asylum yeah so it's sort of like who the
1: fuck even knows yeah maybe <laughs> that's
0: what he heard when bruce willis said it
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah maybe so the um i was gonna mention on the on the car ride madeline stowe brings up the idea of sort of no, you've you've incorporated him into your delusion, like trying yeah. to explain it away that way. So then, coupled with what we're talking about, is, yeah. is kind of a cool little progression yeah. of self doubt, yeah. which comes up in the the third. Because of course, I guess. we
1: want Bruce Willis to just be a crazy person. We don't want there to be a plague. <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, that would be real bad. Yeah, I don't like underground. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, man, that's where the chuds live.
0: <laughs> I don't need no chud neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, yet again seeming proof of uh that he's a time traveler is uh he lets madeline stowe out of the trunk after the party the police are encroaching on them and he disappears yeah seemingly like even the ripples in the water like yeah. he disappeared out of the puddle
1: it's awesome <laughs> yeah
0: no i really like that shit and that's i had forgotten that they drag him or i
1: had forgotten about this specific instance of being dragged back into the future um and i what are they why did they bring him back again i don't remember what their motivation was i just know he gets spit back out
0: in world war one um i think doesn't he isn't this
1: when he gets spit back out in world war one i think that
0: happened earlier oh did i think that was the between 1990 and 1996 or whatever it is yeah gotcha um yeah because i think she takes the didn't she take the bullet out of his leg oh Uh, i think she did eh. yeah yeah anyway um guys we watched it like three weeks ago. Yeah, it's like, been a while. My
1: girlfriend got cut open. Come on, give us some slack.
0: <laughs> Stop being such dicks. <laughs> uh, so. That's the way to grow an audience <laughs> <RJP>. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, during his sort of disappearance, we get a little bit more of uh, Madeline Stowe sort of defending him still even yeah. after being tied up in the trunk and all that kind of stuff. yeah. So it seems like she's, she's pretty well turned so far that she is at least a big fan of his and wants to help him versus thinks he's a maniac who kidnapped her. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, she's probably still not too stoked on the kidnapping, <laughs> but she's, she has gotten a teeny bit Stockholm y. Mm-hmm. And part of that, I think, comes from like watching because, you know, she's an experienced psychiatrist. She probably knows the typical pathology of like kidnappers and mm-hmm. she's seen how this guy acts and it's like oh yeah this guy is not like he's not he's clearly not meaning me harm yeah that's a um, good point point. and so you know at the very least that means he's incorporating me as well into a delusion and he deserves our help and you know not because I mean if her character is defined by nothing if
0: not boundless compassion mm-hmm. um, I mean that's that's what she's here for is to just like want to help people um, mm-hmm. when we were saying earlier about all the sort of things he does to her throughout this movie I was like if, if you went a little more fractured reality, it could be like a docudrama about Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Like, cut all the future shit out, and that's just what you have.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: so the, her next step in this transition, as she already clearly has compassion for him and is a Cole fan, uh, she hears the news of the boy was found hiding in a barn. Yeah. <laughs> exactly as Cole said, and why he wasn't worried about him in the well. So more evidence, Holy in this, shit. yeah, this seems to be the real clincher, and I think the bullet is then added in just mm-hmm. to really put the bow on top.
1: Well, the, the third clincher is when she sees him in the World War One picture.
0: Oh, that's right, and he's like, "Oh, <laughs> I forgot here's it was photographic just
1: evidence of time travel." Yeah, <laughs> okay, we're done. Yeah, I'm like, why is
0: there a Jose in World War One? <laughs> What's going
1: on? Well, you think there weren't any Jose's in World War One? You fucking racist. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's talking with a uh, another friend and she says she's losing her faith in psychology. Mm-hmm. So sort this is clearly sort of shaking her in, in a whole variety of ways. Yeah. Uh this is now we we learn, of course, Cole is in the future and they're singing blueberry pill in his face. Yeah. Uh in one oh, of the I more god
1: about that. Oh yeah, where they're like, You're free, like you're good, you did awesome.
0: Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I mean, it's uh, in a movie full of surreal moments that may be the oddest. <laughs> yeah,
1: I totally forgot about the Blueberry Hill thing.
0: <laughs> Jesus. Uh, and they have, like, paintings all over the walls to class it up and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, And this is when he is convinced they're a hallucination now. Yeah. So she's convinced he's really a time traveler, while he has been pulled back into the future and is convinced it's a delusion. Yeah. So this is a pretty awesome, like, plot arc, if you were to graph all this out. <laughs> a double turn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. The odd voice in the vents keeps talking to him. Yeah. So either his mind is getting more fractured, or, you know, there's crazy homeless people talking through the walls. Yeah.
1: And they've basically told him at this point, like, you did great. You're done. Like, mm-hmm. you're, you've are you got your pardon. You're good. Does he like illicitly go back in time again, or do they send him?
0: I believe he he requests to be sent mm-hmm. back, and I feel like I should remember it better. But I I think he has like a reason. Of, yeah. Uh, even if it's just I know what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so mm, this this is when uh, Doctor Rayleigh goes back, and she finds the homeless guy. Who has seemingly no memory, or you know, a a different personalities at the fore, or whatever exactly is going on? So she's she's fully convinced and is starting to freak out, and she has no coal to even like bounce ideas off. So she starts spray painting the front of the storefront, Mm -hmm. and hoping that in the future they will see it and then
1: send someone back in time to uh, to to like get in touch with her, which is cool because it kind of furthers this part of the conception of how time travel works in this uh, setting is sort of like, like the easiest way to think about uh, the 2035 or whenever in like 1996 Mm -hmm. in this movie is almost like they're parallel universes, not like they're different time. They're not different points on a timeline, Mm -hmm. like one way communication is possible basically. Mm -hmm. And then the way that the, that the other side communicates with 1996 is to send emissaries back. Um, but she's finding all these ways to communicate with the future that almost make it feel like a pocket dimension. I mean, obviously, it's not. It's a different point in time. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a very cool, like, rigorously thought-out idea of how you could get these messages across.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I mentioned the the Donnie Darko, uh, like mm-hmm. a sort of a, a similar time travel mechanic. Yeah, And it, it sort of reminded me in the way of, like, sort of aberrations happen, and then it sort of folds back into what's supposed to happen. Yeah. And it's sort of... So the only real differences are the newly acquired knowledge in the present.
1: Yeah, yeah. You're never going to get back to 1985 and Bish is wa- Biff is waxing your car. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> yes, that's exactly. Not, that's not what happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so uh, I believe it's when she's yelling at the homeless guy, Bruce Willis just kind of shows up. Yeah, yeah. And now is continuing the twist is she's like desperately trying to and hide him from the police. pulling out beliefs. his teeth, right? Uh, I mean... That's that's a little bit later.
1: Yeah, okay. He does pull out his teeth at one
0: point. He does, yes. Yeah. In one of my favorite, like, joke moments in the whole movie. It's yeah. Just bizarre. <laughs> uh, but it's sort of playing even more on the twist of now she is trying to hide the fugitive while he is raising his hand trying yeah. to find the nearest policeman. Yeah. Uh, so now she's desperately trying to convince him that he's right. Yeah. And uh, this is when they go into the Hourly Hotel. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember if I talked at all about this? I know no. I wanted to bring it up, but something that I thought was really awesome that I never really noticed before is I don't know if it's the Python background, I don't know if he's just a funny guy, but there are a bunch of big laughs, like right at the end of this very dramatic movie in the third act, right before the not at all funny climax. Yeah. So it is. That's kind really of, interesting. Yeah. It's because like a, a the, the, really big. The Hourly contract. Hotel
1: is 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 wacky. Yeah. Like, it's wacky and funny. I mean, considering it's full of pimps and hookers. And there's a surprise but...
0: pimp breaking through the door. <laughs> <laughs> surprise pimp. So, I mean, whether it's just he thought that was funny and put it in there or not, I think it's, it's a really cool mechanic to... It's 100% unnecessary. That's for damn sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like... But the sort of letting, letting your audience loosen up. Yeah. Like you like your characters, they seem to be getting along on a similar goal now, and you have a few big laughs in there, and then boom, like the big dramatic end. Yeah. So I wonder if that's uh, you know, comedy training combined with dramatic training of just sort of how to maximize the contrast of like make that last beat really hit hard mm-hmm. because you've just sort of loosened up after the tense ninety minutes or whatever. Yeah uh so yeah they they go into the hourly hotel almost like a rope-a-dope kind of thing like mm-hmm. le- asking you to let your guard down yeah and then, yeah 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 and the and they're like slapstick too like kind of as you said it's it's not subtle jokes they're wacky jokes <laughs> yeah
1: yeah no it's it, it's a whole thing <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that was so um uh this is them putting on disguises right yeah in the hotel. no yeah. They, they put on their disguises earlier at the theater because they go oh, see that movie, right. and then like she dyes her hair
1: blonde, and then he puts on the fake mustache and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember if that happens before or after the hotel, but uh, kind of in the same sequence, she goes and calls the voicemail, mm-hmm. and uh, this was
0: the deteriorated voicemail that he heard earlier. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it turns out that that was that was what he heard uh, back in the future and uh and uh, <laughs> and, uh well she's done. basically saying like oh yeah it's the army of the 12 monkeys like if you're hearing this uh if you're hearing this, then the army of the 12 monkeys is who you need to go after. And if you're not, then, you know, who cares? This is all hilarious. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because in the deteriorated version, it sounded like a crying woman. But now we hear that she's, she was laughing because she thought the whole thing was a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, and I might be mangling the exact tone of that that communication, but I, I'm pretty sure that's basically it.
0: Yeah, well, it ends with the Merry Christmas, which is so distorted. It, like, you can't really tell what it's supposed to be. Yeah,
1: yeah um so yeah then they 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 head out um
0: so i don't remember why they're in the hotel but they yeah. are and a uh and a pimp bursts in because the guy behind the cashier called him that a hooker was moving in on his territory without permission essentially yes, that is exactly right <laughs> bruce willis goes into attack mode again drags him into the bathroom wonderful cut of the uh the pimp scream what the fuck are you doing <laughs> And then uh, probably the biggest joke in the whole movie is when the police find him and he claims that he was attacked by a coked up whore and a crazy dentist. <laughs> <laughs> because it uh, turns out, what the fuck are you doing? Was Bruce Willis grabbing his own tooth out of his mouth with pliers in the bathroom? Yep. Yep. So <laughs> opening the door to have blood pouring down his face and the other guy is fine, but freaked out. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's good stuff. And then they uh, they head off to the airport because uh, they're just like fuck this we're just gonna go find an island somewhere I forget exactly where they're going but
0: they're just trying to escape right I think they're going to the Keys because that yeah. was like that vacation ad that's right yeah um, okay, yeah so I have some little notes about the yeah, voicemail yeah. so we we got it mostly right but the it's sort of on their way out of town she calls the number to sort of I don't know put their ducks in a row I guess. And leave a message, but she comes back all excited, saying it's just a carpet cleaning company. That's and She right. says... That's why she was laughing. Yeah, she says what she said, and then he finishes her sentence. So, this seems incontrovertible evidence at this point. <laughs> yeah. That he would know the rest of this message. Mm-hmm. And now they both know that it's, it's real. <laughs> yeah. So, this is sort of the final turning point. And... Were they just trying to get away or were they going to the airport for any particular... They were going to the airport
1: to just get out of town. Because mm-hmm. they were like, okay, it's going down and we're just going to try and escape. And like, you know, get get as far away from everything else as we possibly can so that we don't get this plague. Mm-hmm. And apparently the way you do that is go to the Florida Keys and not, you know, the South Pacific or something. <laughs> um, yeah, so then they're heading out and... Uh, they start hearing that you know traffic's really bad on the way to the airport, and uh, the reason is that the Army of the Twelve Monkeys has released all the animals from the zoo. Mm-hmm. Um, and caged up Jeffrey Goins' father. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then they're like, oh my god, that's all they were doing. It's not the Army of the Twelve Monkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, so who is it? Who is it? So they get to the airport, and then we start seeing uh, Goins' dad's assistant, uh, who had earlier shown up at the Apocalyptic Literature Conference, right. just talking about how maybe the world should end. <laughs> hint, hint. Uh-huh. Um, and he has, uh, at some point earlier, uh, the people in the future, or you know Bruce Willis or somebody, has listed all the places where the virus first showed up. Mm-hmm. And then you see... That he uh, he goes up and gets his ticket, and then he the list of destinations that the steward that the uh, ticket uh, attendant gives him is the list, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, he's about to disseminate the virus. That's incredible. Right. Um,
0: and I love when he's going through airport security, and he pulls up in the vial and just waves it under that guy, and that guy's just cool with it. Yeah, like. like- <laughs> The, uh, the least climactic extinction moment ever shown on film Yeah, <laughs> starts with a TSA dude.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the guy's just like, no, no, I believe you. And I'm like,
0: did you, did you not hear him say viral samples? Once again, pre-9-11, things were different. <laughs> it, it did change everything. You could wave samples in people's faces and not think twice.
1: Oh, man. Back in the 90s, I used to wave my samples in people's faces just <laughs> all the time. That's what they called me, man. They called me Johnny Sample Waver.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, that's wonderful that your name is John <laughs> yeah, it comes in handy from time to time yeah. um,
1: so they get to the airport and poor Bruce Willis's uh, mustache is coming off mm-hmm. and they're trying to keep it on and they're both just kind of intoxicated by like romance at this point in the way yeah. that people in Terry Gilliam movies get
0: um, <laughs> and he threw, he's throwing out more sort of weird meta quotes about a like Every time you see the movie, it's different because you're different. And then sort of mirrored with how his flashbacks have changed based on his experiences. So Terry Gilliam's having a lot of fun. He's
1: talking about us, you guys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So his mustache has fallen off. And as... I mean, I, I... I, have, I can't remember the first time I saw this movie, but I imagine it's probably getting more and more obvious that she's looking more and more like flashback lady, yeah, and he's looking more like guy who's gonna get shot yeah
1: he yeah I don't remember how clear it was that like whether or not he had put that together mhm like
0: they like when they get to the airport he starts he starts going like, I feel like I've been here before, yeah, and, and which is sort of like is this time travel stuff, or is it just him as a little boy he remembers it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it it feels like they start dropping hints faster and faster as the moment approaches.
1: (laughs) And then there's that great moment where he makes that phone call to the carpet cleaning service Mm -hmm. and says, like, it's not the Army of the Twelve Monkeys, like, um, basically saying that was all a red herring, like, it's somebody else. And, uh, yeah, then then he turns around and, like, a, a time traveler just shows up and he's like, what? We got your message, <laughs> and we have time travel, so of course I showed up right now. Yeah, which is cool.
0: Yeah, and we uh, we catch a glimpse of the little boy in the background. It was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah that's cool. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, yeah, the doomsday moment, yeah. TSA, once again, ruining the world. Yeah. God, they really just a net loss for humanity. I've actually heard that TSA people are big fans of podcasts, like, podcasters are some of the people treated nicely, so maybe I should roll that back a little bit. Oh,
1: yeah, no, we're, you, listen, the average rank-and-file TSA officers doing their job. <laughs> like, you guys didn't make this policy. Mm-hmm. Like, you saw a job opening, and you took it, and you're doing your job to the best of your ability. That's totally fine. I we know. just our, our our truck is with the lawmakers, sir. mm mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: I mean, you're just kind of like Nazis, but it's okay. I mean, you're just getting it done.
1: Remember how we were going to dial that back?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's not how you do that. (laughs) Oh, okay.
1: Shrinking the audience. (laughs) All
0: right. Well, it's a good thing we don't cut these. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that stays in. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: If you say it into the mic, oh yeah, (laughs) you best be prepared.
0: (laughs) So I feel like you understand
1: how many hate crimes I've committed into (laughs) this microphone. (laughs) You want to listen to the last 20 episodes?
0: <laughs> I hope that's the first time that sentence has been uttered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. So, yeah, the movie ends. Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like we've done a ton of lead up, so I don't really know what to say about the moment. <laughs> yeah, basically... It's they dramatic.
1: F- they figure out that it's, uh, it's, it's Ponytail 90s action movie bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, <laughs> then... Bruce Willis pulls out his gun and starts running. Baby Bruce Willis sees adult Bruce Willis chasing well, uh, after
0: him. Jose gave him the gun, right? Jose gave him the gun, yeah, that's yeah right.
1: and was like, "And it's." I like that it's like clearly a World War One <laughs> gun It has like the little ring on it that uh-huh. you can clip onto your belt and everything, like <laughs> they had in World War One. He's like, "Thanks for this old timey ass weapon." Probably has the like straw to tamp down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's full of wadding. Um, yeah, and they uh, he takes aim, he fires, misses, and uh, I guess the TSA doesn't think to stop the guy he was shooting at when he was screaming like (laughs) that guy that guy's got like they just didn't do that Mm -hmm. Um, whatever Uh, you know I mean it's so yeah the the, the end result is that the future is not changed Mm -hmm. you can't change the future they told him he couldn't change the future
0: um, and cute blonde lady stares for like a long time at that little kid. So I guess I can yeah. see why he would have odd visions for the rest of his life. Yeah. That's, getting that's something of like to see. I
1: fucked by some blonde <laughs> whose husband just died.
0: <laughs> well, I'll <but.
1: laughs> yeah. stick with a nine year old man. <laughs>
0: I'll tell you what. So I think sort of plot wise, the last, uh, the last thing I wanted to mention was, so one of the future scientists is sitting on the plane Mm -hmm. Next to uh, the culprit. Yeah. And I feel like when I first saw this, it felt a little more like just like kind of a weird mind fuck moment. Yeah. Of like, oh, this'll this'll get him. But uh, with it being a little more vague, but this time seeing it, it felt much more like it fit perfectly into the point the whole movie was making of sort yeah. of it's all a research task. Yeah. So sort of, I thought that was sort of reinforcement of that they've been relatively honest about what these missions are and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Is sort of, it's them getting closer and closer and closer to the moment to just get information. And now here we are where the top scientist is sitting next to the guy who did it and immediately tries to spark up a conversation. Oh, to so you're wing. thinking
1: that she'd went back in time.
0: Yeah. Oh, I, I did not take
1: it that way at all. I thought that she just happened to have been there.
0: Oh, I, I feel like the first time I saw it, I was like, is she in on it? Like, I didn't... I didn't, I didn't even think about that. Your understand.
1: explanation makes way more
0: sense. So that, that like, To me, presu- the first time... It was the first time I saw that ending where I was like, oh, okay, I feel like that is actually a capper that makes sense of sort of like the research has been getting narrower and narrower and narrower. Bruce Willis figured out eventually that it is this guy.
1: At some point, the plane is just going to be full of people from the future and that guy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So on his way to the bathroom, they can try and scrub him for more info. (laughs) Yeah. Which
1: like, they're not just going to go get him because they know (laughs) that if they try, they're not going to succeed Mm -hmm. because they've been to the future. Which is where they came from, and they hadn't succeeded. Yeah. Um, and, and you got to believe that they learned that shit the hard way. Because if I had a time machine and I was in a shitty plague ridden future, the first thing I would do is be like, hey, go back and change the past. Dude. <laughs> yeah. And they probably like threw four or five people back and then got messages from them in that, like, you know, carpet cleaning mess of voicemail way um, of just like, hey, we didn't succeed, or mm-hmm. I've been shot, or. Uh, <laughs> I think I'd just rather stay here in the past. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: Which he did. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, I'm, presumably there's plenty of people who didn't end up on a battlefield in
0: World War One. They just ended up in like, you know, just like, you know, 1961. I mean, maybe they've tossed dozens of inmates back and he's like the first one anywhere close. Yeah. Like how many <laughs> just, you know, got shot back into 1949- in brazil uh, or the positioning the earth wasn't right so they spawned a second off when the earth was hundreds of thousands of miles from there oh,
1: jesus that's <laughs> a nightmare dude why would you even say something like that
0: i think it was an xkcd yeah. it was the first uh-huh. time i ever thought about that's a good point yeah. <laughs> you better be real exact with time travel
1: yeah because you're also having to calculate the motion of the solar system around the galaxy <laughs> and the motion of the galaxies and like <laughs> and also everything's relative there are no there is no such thing as absolute points in space mm-hmm. so like it kind of can't be done um yeah, that's a good point yeah no time travel is a terrible <laughs> idea um, you're mo- the the v- back to interstellar <laughs> yeah you're overwhelmingly more likely to end up just in the cold vacuum of space mm-hmm. that's probably what's going to happen yeah. like if we were smart we would fire a spacecraft back in time <laughs> and then just have them like you know get over to where they were
0: did you see a uh, hertzfeld's newest short it was a uh, world of tomorrow I believe no it's called there's a thing in that where like I think the world is coming to an end and they figure out a uh, teleportation. yeah, but people get more and more desperate as the world is coming closer to an end. So there's like discount last shot. I might as well try something, which leads to a ton of people like teleporting into the middle of a planet <laughs> or teleporting into the sky and suffocating instantly. <laughs> Oh, ah. Hertzfeld, he's yeah. my kind of sense of humor yeah that's,
1: oh jesus that's <laughs> fucking grim <laughs> yep um yeah and then uh then the whole thing ends with just uh baby bruce willis in the parking lot watching the the plague plane take off and then then credits and we're done
0: yeah it feels like saying the cycle repeats i mean that's not exactly accurate but it is kind of a weird, gruesome time loop for him in particular. Yeah,
1: no, this is just what he's what he's always what he was always going to do. Yeah,
0: like, if he is the playhead, I guess he is the needle skipping on the record. Like, yeah, if it's from his point of view.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that's my uh, that's my favorite time travel rules. It's funny because uh, last night I uh, was at Synespia for a double feature of Back to the Future and Back to the Future Two. Nice and. Um, yeah, Back to the Future rules, very different from uh, from 12 Monkeys <laughs> rules. A lot of disagreement on the nature of time travel.
0: Uh-huh. Um, Causality has half happened, so you're just fading away as opposed to disappearing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like Back to the Future 1, at least, like has... This idea that, like, as the probability curve of a certain event decreases, then, you know, an object you brought back from the future, like, sort of fades. Mm-hmm. Like, that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, the, you know, George and Lorraine McFly are getting less likely to hook up. It's not impossible, but it's less likely. So this picture's starting to fade. Like, that's kind of a silly shorthandy sort of representation. <laughs> but whatever. I prefer the sequels with their newspaper headlines. Um, <laughs> Doc Brown commended. Uh, <laughs>
0: Yeah, time travel movies do seem to assume that it's kind of one or the other.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, it's a totally different existence where I wasn't born. How about yeah, that?
1: Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, you can deal with it the way the Star Trek, uh, the new Star Trek movies have, which is just like, no, we created a new universe. Like <laughs> burn it to the ground. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I mean, which logically makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, as soon as, you know, we went back into the past and gave people access to future tech, like everything splintered off. Not to say that the the other future didn't happen, but uh, yeah, we're over here now. And that's uh, that's what we're doing. Um, yeah, that
0: definitely it feels like a an outside human understanding way that it might work in theory. I mean, yeah. obviously, I don't know that much about you know. Well, there's crazy school, super physics. There's a but school yeah, the of, idea quantum, of like, like the, they don't have to reconcile. Like it's split off and. That's, That's how it works.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, there's I mean, there's a school of physics that says that every decision or every interaction between like subatomic particles spawns a parallel universe. Mm-hmm. Do you know who came it? up with that theory? Who?
0: The father of E from the Eels.
1: <laughs> really?
0: Mark Oliver Everett the <laughs> Second. Wow. Also, everyone should read Mark Oliver Everett the Third's book. Oh, he has a book? Mm-hmm. Huh. It's oh. an autobiography about his fucked up childhood and the uh the audiobook. And his crazy physicist dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it sounds like he was basically raised without supervision. They were mm. like one of those hippie families. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, do, you, do you listen to the Eels? Or have yeah. you
1: seen them live? I've never seen them live, but I know their music decently.
0: He has like a persona. Mystery. Like, they're, right, right. But I mean, there's like a person on stage called The Chet. And yeah. I, I assume he's a member of the band, but I don't really know for sure. But I think he read the audiobook, and uh, they play song interludes, like, between the chapters. That's kind of cool. So, yeah. It was a pretty awesome audiobook. Yeah, that sounds For great. what it's worth.
1: I didn't know Mystery's uh, dad came up with that theory, though. Yeah. But it's not, like, it's a, it's a theory that's taken seriously in mm-hmm. academic circles, right? Like, oh, it's, I mean, it was... It's not, it's not like, uh, it's not the way people talk about Ayn Rand as a philosopher. Like, I this mean, is one that is actually, like, regarded.
0: He was, like, hired by the government during the Manhattan Project Times to... This was not someone passing out stapled flyers. Yeah.
1: hmm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, given that that idea that, like, if on a micro level every subatomic interaction creates a new parallel universe, then on a macro level every decision you make creates a parallel universe or any number of parallel universes, if that's true, then... Star Trek rules is probably the best rules. Mm -hmm. Um, Where like, no, a big thing happened and now we're just in a new universe and nothing that was going to happen is necessarily going to happen, Mm -hmm. you know? And we can't, unlike Back to the Future rules where you can go back and, you know, make bad 1985 never happen, uh, we don't have that option. Mm -hmm. Um, All that we can hope to do is if we did go back to the inflection point and change it, we would create a third parallel universe where we
0: had done that. (laughs) So it's Um, the reboot gold theory. (laughs) Reboot gold? <laughs> like the gold standard of reboots. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it'll be the same. Sometimes things are the same.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Sometimes we make Star Trek into darkness, which is just something like, it's like somebody singing karaoke of Wrath of Khan.
0: <laughs> I still haven't seen it, but I've heard lots about that movie. It's a
1: piece of shit, and I've I hate it that. so much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it makes me so angry. What a waste of Benedict Cumberbatch. Aww. Like, you cast Benedict Cumberbatch in your movie, and then you just use, use him for that.
0: And it, it was Abrams, right? Yeah. Mm.
1: It was Abrams. Um, it's just fucking dumb, and it doesn't have any original ideas. Like, it doesn't have anything to say about Wrath of Khan. It's just like, remember that thing you liked? <laughs> yeah. Here, here uh, all it, is. it had to
0: say was, I swear, it's not Wrath of Khan. For reals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for really reals. It might be Wrath of Khan. <laughs> 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 all
1: right. Uh, so, yeah, that is uh, that is that for uh, for 12 Monkeys.
0: Ooh, 20 yeah. episodes.
1: Yeah, we made it for 20 episodes, guys. It only took us like a year and a half.
0: <laughs> go us.
1: Yeah, but we did it. Um thanks nice. for thanks for hanging in there. <laughs> um yeah, so uh so next up uh for to, to start the next chapter in the Refried Reviews saga, uh I thought we'd go back to something that I think is part of the the canon that's inarguably one of the best films ever made. Um but one that I just never really liked the first time I saw it, and that is Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I like it fine uh, when I saw it, but I just didn't get the hoopla. And I haven't watched it again yet, Mm -hmm. but... I'm very excited to revisit it because everybody's got the biggest goddamn boner in the universe for this movie (laughs) and I want to know what all the fucking fuss is about Mm -hmm. because I just didn't see it the first time. I see. Like, I mean, maybe it's that I didn't, I didn't really know what it was about. I just thought it was about vertigo and I didn't expect like all the parallelism and the fact that the movie divides very neatly in two Mm -hmm. um, and all that shit. I didn't know any of that was (laughs) going (laughs) to (laughs) happen. Well, thanks for listening. This thanks has been refried reviews. <laughs> yeah. Later. <laughs>